You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Let me be the first to welcome you to episode 139 of the Null and Void Sports Podcast. We've got nine different sports to look at and an unusual contact for you. I get a grip that's very attackable, which Andy, though, may try to defend. And we've got a friend of the pod, Paddy Malarkey, as a guest to throw light on the weekend's rugby union. Looking forward to that. Uh, My weekend saw some gardening, tidying between the many, many rain showers. Having said that, those showers gave me a very good excuse to watch Premier League football, a bit of a top championship game between uh, Leeds and Leicester. That was good. And some rugby union. How about you? Uh, Yeah, so Saturday was all about the rugby, both union and league. And then Sunday, uh, caught up with uh, some friends for brunch. My friends Tamsin and Kat and their baby boy Rory. So um, our guest tonight, Paddy, will appreciate the Irish spelling of Rory's name. Um, He's a very chilled out, happy little chap. He's, what, six, seven months old. Although surprised me how strong he was when he was trying to grab the, uh, the sauce bottles and the tin of beans, <laughs> the cup that the baked beans were in for our breakfast uh, from the table. So uh, Tamsin and Kat were trying to get a photo of him, sat with me. And before I knew it, he was pulling away. He'd been attracted by the tomato sauce. And I thought, no, that's not happening on my watch. We're not getting tomato sauce everywhere. So thankfully, any sauce uh, issues were averted because my reach is longer than his. So I was able to reach them quicker than my he could. Well out. Sorry? <laughs> Mike will out, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, no, he was. I'll tell you what. For uh, for for his age, very very strong in terms of pulling away. But uh, but yeah, uh, for, forty-seven years of age versus six months of age. I had a slightly longer reach and was able yeah, to move. You try and move well the bottle. Well done, Andy. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came home and watched France against Italy uh, in the rugby, which we'll talk about on one screen, and yeah. England A against Portugal on the other. So, again, who says men can't multitask? Right. Now, we should talk about rugby union first, although we're going to talk in detail with Paddy later. What were the headlines for you, just quickly? Um, Yeah, Scotland made it four Calcutta Cup wins in a row, beating a sorry England 30-21 at Murrayfield. Um, And Scotland's winger, one of their South African imported spring jocks, uh, scoring a hat-trick, Duhan van der Merwe, that very Scottish name. Uh, Ireland took another bonus point win in beating Wales 31-7, and it shows how good Andy Farrell's side are. I always felt they had another gear that they could go up um, as they equaled the record of 11 successive Six Nations wins. And then on Sunday, only a ball falling off the tee prevented Italy from taking a win over France in Lille. Uh, the penalty kick was subsequently rushed and therefore missed uh, when it hit the post and bounced out. And the game ended up as a 17-all draw. Yeah, that, I, I saw that later. I didn't quite understand the nuances, but I thought, why did he rush at that to take that kick? Anyway, we'll we'll talk more with Paddy later. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. But then well, in sevens, um, yeah. France star Antoine Dupont made his debut in this year's Vancouver leg of the World 7 Series. So he's taken a career break from captaining the France 15-a-side Six Nations team um, to try and get into the Sevens team for the Paris Olympics. And uh, typically blockbusting performance from him. He made the break in the final minute that beat Ireland in the quarterfinals, uh, showing it's not just at World Cups where Ireland can't make it to a semi-final. Um, but then France lost in the semi-final. In the third-place playoff, Dupont scored his first try of the tournament to secure a bronze medal for the French side, and he'll be looking to build on that, I'm sure, and the French team will be uh, in the USA leg in Los Angeles this weekend. So typically blockbusting start for him to his sevens career. Okay, okay. Um yeah, football next. Um, two of the the two top two of the top three. I'll get it right in a minute. Uh, of the Premier League uh, recorded wins, the most emphatic being Arsenal's five-one thrashing of Newcastle. He said, looking across to Andy. That said, 
Liverpool are still top by two points, even though they didn't play. City won 1-0, winners at Bournemouth. But Liverpool didn't play because they were actually in the Carabao Cup final. And they beat Chelsea 1-0 in the end in the extra time, extra minutes. Um, And I thought, watching that game, that if ever Chelsea were going to do something good, and they haven't done for a long time, that was their opportunity. They had Liverpool stretched and should have won the game. But, you know, fairness to those young lads from Liverpool, that was like a B team playing there. It was more than a B team. It was like Liverpool's under 12s that Chelsea was playing and they still couldn't beat them. But speaking about losing in the dying seconds of the added time, I see that United managed to do that, having equalised in the 89th minute at home to Fulham and still went on to a managed to lose the game. So not a good weekend for your team or my team. No, I, I've got a note about United saying they lost at home to Fulham. First time in 20 years they've lost to Fulham. Um, but, you know, the, and I said in a disappointing performance and the euphemism, euphemism for that is actually rubbish, to be polite. <laughs> anyway. I'm sure that wasn't the word that you used to describe it on uh, Saturday evening. But, I mean, that's a real coach killer and a real fan killer. You've done all the hard work yeah. to get back on level terms and think yeah. we've got something from this game. And then to lose it like that, just, uh, yeah, I think that that's players switching off. They say, though, don't they, in any sport, rugby, football, you're always most vulnerable when you've scored. And while I don't often think that is necessarily the case, it definitely was here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And big news at the bottom was that Everton's 10-point uh, deduction for financial irregularities uh, on appeal was reduced to six points for the one offence they had. Interestingly, and I'm sure they're very pleased about that, but what does that mean for Manchester City on their 115 offences? Well, if we're doing six points a charge, that's 690 points. <laughs> they get <Yeah>. docked. <laughs> I think they, they should be in the um, Conference League or National League, whatever, with Maidstone. Anyway... One point of note on a personal basis was the, the death of uh, Stan Bowles at 75. Say a personal basis because when I was 15 uh, and City wanted to sign me all those years ago, I went down training afterwards, although I didn't sign for them. And one of the first people I met was Stan Bowles. He'd just come down from the snooker hall. He got his betting slip in front of him uh, and he was a smoker. And apart from that, he had a very good left foot and a fantastic career, really. And I don't know, looking at his health overall, because his Alzheimer's he died from, but uh, how on earth he survived as long as he did. Uh, big drinker, smoker, and veteran. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting. I happened to meet him at that time, but he, he had a very good left foot, I'll say that. They always said about him, didn't they, if he could have... Uh... Pass, pass the ball as well as he passed a betting shop. Oh, sorry, passed a betting shop as well as he passed the ball, then uh, he probably wouldn't have had as many challenges with that. But yeah, great player. I only saw footage of him at the very end of his career. But, Q- QPR uh, was when Rodney Marsh was there. That was a, a great time, you know, because you got immensely skillful players and they really put on a show. Um so he, he went from City, he didn't, didn't make it big time at City, and he went to one or two other local clubs like Bury, uh, and eventually got to QPR. And that's where he got selected for England, played five games for England. Can you imagine having Marsh and Bowles in the same changing room? I bet that was an absolute riot. Well, interesting uh, to uh, observe, I'm sure. But anyway, quite a character. Um, mm. The women's game... Um, well, there were no WSL games this weekend as the players uh, are on international break. And for England, that meant they were playing two friendlies. I commented on that last week. The first, on Saturday, they beat Australia, Australia, Austria 7-2 uh, on Saturday, which was pretty easy. Um, but there were only 900 people watching. I believe both games have been played in Spain as kind of warm weather training uh, ahead of Euros coming up. Um, anyway, I've, uh, they followed up tonight playing Italy, literally as and just before we were recording, I was watching the first half and just the final moments. And they were 
really dominant in the first half, England attacked really well and we, we were 3-0 up. But on three occasions, they presented very good chances just by losing the ball in crucial positions to Italy. And one of them they did convert. So it was 3-1 at half time. You think they dominated that. But anyway, second half, they kind of ran away with them and ended up 5-1 um, winners. You know, so, uh, yeah, uh, Lauren Hemp scored a couple of goals. Um, Chloe Kelly was back in. Um, you know, so there were some good good signs there. Um, Lottie Wooden uh, Moy, uh, Wooden Moy, uh, scored her first ever goal for England, which is great for her. But, yeah, um, not a bad performance. I don't, you know, Italy are supposedly very good at defending on the men's side. Doesn't seem to apply yet to the <laughs> women's team. But anyway, next up, I've got uh, cricket. Yeah. Do you want to take that? <laughs> More of the same. Um, England capitulated in the second innings in the third test in Ranchi. Um, and it means that India take an unassailable 3-1 lead in the series with just one game to play. So uh, first innings, England batted well. Bit of a collapse early doors, and then a Joe Root century uh, after one of us last week had mentioned how out of form and struggling for runs <laughs> Joe Root was. Um, so uh, if I can criticise the whole team this week, maybe that will have a similar uh, turnaround in their performance. Um, but then the second innings was just just like the previous match, you know, all out for 140-something, set India 192, and by close of play, Last night, they were 80 for nothing. So bowlers did do a bit of a fight back this morning. And we got England, India five down, still needing 72 runs. But then Gill and uh, Jarrell uh, uh, saw India home. So 192 target was never going to be enough, uh, never nearly enough. Um, so I guess it is the first series defeat for England since Stokes and McCullum took over in 2022. But I guess it does leave questions for them now as to where they go next. All the talk is that they're going to stick with this baseball approach. But I don't know. I just think if they could just nuance it. I lo love the idea. Be positive. Play attacking cricket. Yes. You know, and certainly the bowling. They've definitely worked out the right mix of when to defend, when to attack, when to press, when to pull back. Um batting they've just they're just trying to play t20 cricket with a red ball and it just shows against the really top sides australia in the summer it paid off maybe one game out of the five and the other one um australia just played badly in england one <clears throat> drawn series ashes go back to australia now a 3-1 potentially 4-1 defeat depending on how things go in dara masala um next week um, so picturesque ground, the final test. That's right up in the up in the mountains. It's a beautiful venue, but uh, yeah, I, th I think it does leave questions. I think that England need to now nuance the approach. So uh, a more nuanced version of baseball. I don't quite know what nickname you could come up with that for, but uh, <laughs> any, any suggestions from our uh, listeners? I know we have some uh, some very sharp wits amongst the listening community. So any that can come up with something that would. Uh, suit that a nuanced baseball then please let us know yeah i mean ben stokes defended his young players it is a young team in fairness uh, saying he was proud of them nothing wrong with that ben but uh, the fact is some of the more experienced players particularly in that second innings you need to step forward and they didn't himself included you need leaders at that time india are very very difficult to beat at home we know that but as you say, questions asked. And any team that is very successful, football, cricket or whatever, has, if they are successful, a flexibility to adapt to any given set of circumstances, as opposed to saying, we'll play the same way, whatever. I think the late, great Kenny Rogers said it best with, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Yeah. All right. We'll take that. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about rugby league. Plenty going on there. Yeah. Well, if... Saturday afternoon was a tough watch in the rugby union for uh, for me. The rugby league where Wigan took on Australian champions, Penrith Panthers, for the World Club Championship at a packed DW stadium. 
was an absolute cracker. This was the Panthers' third consecutive appearance in the match. Uh, it's a, a matchup between the best of the Northern Hemisphere and the best of the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, and they were looking to avenge their defeat by St. Helens down under last year. The lead changed hands regularly. It was a real seesaw game. I think the commentators called it uh, through the first half. Uh, Panthers should have been more than 12-10 up at halftime. They had a, a player held up in goal uh, that would have been a try. Um, and the number of times that Wigan made the tackle and got the turnover on the sixth tackle was brilliant. Um, I think Panther, the defence was immense. Panthers changed their style slightly in the second half and did more kicking on the fifth tackle um, and the sixth play, so completed their sets. Um, but the stats of the game showed that Penrith have, had 70% of territory, but they couldn't quite make it count. Uh, video ref was called on to a judge where whether Jake Wardle's tried to give Wigan the lead was valid. He upheld the decision of the on-field ref, and that gave Wigan what turned out to be a winning 16-12 lead. Um, pretty much all Penrith after that for the last 15-20 minutes. Um, Wigan did have a try chalked off two minutes from time. Bevan French was about a toe length in front of the ball when it was kicked downfield. He gathered it and went in under the post. I was out of my chair cheering. The whole capacity DW Stadium were up cheering and then the ref called it back and it was it was, it was half an inch if that that he was ahead of the ball but he was ahead of the ball so it was the right right call right decision and then the final play of the game just as the full-time klaxon went off Penrith thought they'd gone in at the corner to score a try a try would have equalized and then the conversions come to win the game but it would have been right out on the touchline but the ref called held up on the field they went through and fair play to the video ref as the whole stadium held its breath. The video ref reviewed all 14 angles and went through every one of them and a number of times. Um, and then the unbelievable roar of the crowd as it came up on the big screen, no try. And Wigan had won 16-12. Brilliant game, showed the absolute, showcased the best of the Northern Hemisphere and the best of Southern Hemisphere Rugby League. And what an absolute cracker to get the season underway. You know, we're two games in in the Super League. Australia, they're still in their sort of pre-season preparation. But what a game. Um, if, if we get another game like that this season, it will have been a great season. Uh, my tip, outside tip, Hull Kingston Rovers, a two from two after a 22-12 win over Leeds Rhinos. Um and Sam Burgess's uh, Warrington beat Hull 36-10 for his first win as a head coach. Poor old London Broncos that we talked about last week and oh, all yeah. the fight that they're facing with the spreadsheet wonders and the consultants that have come up with that genius ploy on how to attract more fans to rugby league that doesn't include anything on the pitch. Um, they remain winless. They lost 34-0 at home to the Catalans. So tough, tough two weeks for them. Indeed. Okay. Um, athletics, some news for you. Sebastian Coe obviously listens. Sir Sebastian Coe, I should say. Lord obviously, Sebastian Coe. Is he Lord, is he? Rather than Lord. Sir. Oh, right. Well, okay. Lord Sebastian Coe obviously listens to Nolan Void. At weekend, he agreed with my comments on Kelvin Kipton, whose funeral it was last week the 24-year-old world champion. He said he believed Kipton would have broken the two-hour marathon world record, which is what I'd said in the previous week. Keep listening, Seb. Happy to have you tuning in. Also good news from Athletics was that the London Marathon has announced that prize money for wheelchair disabled athletes and able-bodied will be equal from this year's run. Well done, London Marathon organisers. More people should follow that lead. Okay, tennis next. Um, just talking about the Rio Open. Defending champion Cameron Norrie lost in the semi-final, losing to qualifier Argentinian Navori. Whilst in the Qatar Open, teenager um, Mensik lost to Russian uh, Kajnanov, 7-6, 6 
four. So there's plenty of tennis going on. Um, what next? Cycling. Have a look at cycling. Yeah, so uh, it was the British National Track Championships in Manchester. So uh, Lauren Bell won both the uh, Kerrin and the sprint titles. Uh, Will Perrett won the points race for the second year running. And I hadn't realised that race involves the riders cycling 120 laps of the course of, of the track uh, to, to win that. Um, and then Aaron Pope, I thought this was brilliant. He won the kilometre time trial after the unusual breakfast of three Greg's steak bakes. So I can now safely say I have the diet of a British cycling champion. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> but then controversy in Belgium, where a women's team, uh, Siniska Cycling, a road cycling team, have been charged with dressing up a mechanic as a rider to be able to race in the Argenta Classic. Yep. Um, these stories keep coming. It's the sport, uh, sport is the uh, gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. So um, one rider in the team had fallen ill and was back in the hotel. But the team were told by the race officials that if not all five riders were present at registration and at the start line, then they couldn't race. So they only had to be there for registration and the start. Bear that in mind. Yeah. So what they did was they got one of the team's mechanics to put on the cycling gear, got her dressed up in the, the, the cycling racing gear and put a face mask on because uh, that, <laughs> that, that, that'll trick them. Um, however, <laughs> one of the race commissaires apparently knows the rider who was ill well and therefore recognised that the mechanic obviously yeah. wasn't that registered rider. And therefore, the team were uh, charged with defrauding the championship in the race. So the punishment was handed out this week. And Siniska's cycling director, Danny Van Halt, has been banned from all cycling until December the 31st, 2025. So just short of a two-year ban. Uh, the mechanic who was involved has been banned until September this year. The team have been banned from the next UCI event that they're confirmed for, they qualify for, uh, and fined. And the other four riders in the team, who obviously were part of the conspiracy, have been reprimanded for their part in the deception, but no further sanctions taken because obviously they were under instructions from Danny Van Hout, yeah. the yeah. Uh, cycling director. So an absolute comic a farce of errors there but yeah basically put on a face mask because uh that that'll that'll cover up who you really are but then of course she couldn't cycle in a face mask so as they're at the start line they got caught out so just <laughs> yeah which genius thought that one up anyway <laughs> you can imagine how they feel about that now uh golf uh, briefly england's uh bronte law carded a final round was 64 to finish 13 under in winning the Moroccan Open at weekend, ahead of Bouchard of France and Fassi of Mexico. Law, the 28-year-old, had an eagle, nine birdies and two bogeys in his final round. As I said, finishing 13 under. Great performance. Uh, Skeleton Bob, Andy. Yeah, um, <laughs> Matt Weston uh, got a silver medal in the World Championships in Winterberg in Germany. Um, so uh, he won gold last year at the event, but he was just 0.23 seconds behind the home gold medalist, uh, Christopher Grottier, um, in this year's race. But a silver medal there is, a, you know, when we're, I think I said last week, midway through the cycle between winter olympics you know the next one coming up in 2026 in um italy uh he's looking in great form for that but also for western there's the chance of um getting a first place in the world cup series i think he needs to come one or two places ahead of uh grottier and also the um uh chinese uh, sorry japanese uh racer yin zeng if he finishes ahead of those two in lake placid in a couple of weeks time then he could end up winning the world cup series 
gold medal, but a, a silver medal in the uh, World Championships is a pretty tidy return. Good stuff. Okay. Um, now, contacts. It's always interesting for the two of us to learn where and when you personally listen to Null and Void. And on Sunday, I discovered where and when one of our regulars was listening to this week's podcast. I'll tell you how it happened. I was there walking and doing my February walking, as I've said, back from having gone to get uh, to my local news agents to get the Sunday paper. There ahead of me was Johnny Walters, who was shoveling up tons of mud from the bridleway. Didn't have to do that. It's outside his house, though, and he's a good, good bloke. So good community spirit. As I got up to John, I said, uh, how are you doing? And he said, I'm listening to your pod now. I said, all right. I said, what are we babbling on about? And he said, uh, well, you're talking about doing your February walking. What are the chances <laughs> of that? Unbelievable timing. But, yeah, so we had a little discussion about that. Um, but it's always interesting to know where and when you listen to us. So there's another example. And now, before any of you think or say it, What's the link between Null and Void podcast and someone shoveling tons of <laughs> answers on a postcard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both so, are a pile of manure. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, okay. Just another one, um, Doddy Aid, uh, throwing back to that, which again was what prompted you to move from running to, psych uh, to walking and keeping going. Yeah. Um, all roads lead to Rome. So former Scotland international player and captain Rob Wainwright is leading a cycle group to Rome with the match ball for the uh, Scotland-Italy game uh, in two weekends' time. So they set off on Monday the 4th. So saying this now because they'll set off before we record our next episode. And they aim to arrive in Rome on the evening of Thursday the uh, 7th and then join the fans and other cyclists who've found their own routes to Rome um, to uh, then celebrate that evening. And then they're all going to put on their Dodier tartan and march up to the stadium together on, on the, on the Saturday. So it should be a great, uh, great event. Um, loads of different teams getting sponsored. I know overall so far, this has raised over a quarter of a million pounds for uh, the My Name's Doddy Foundation. Rob Wainwright, as I say, and the team he's going with, that's got including ex-Scotland internationals, including Stuart Hogg, uh, they're taking the match ball. But another group who are um, followed their own route to Rome, they're taking a 3,000-kilometre route that will visit all six nations' grounds on the way to the stadium in Rome at, uh, in two weekends' time. So brilliant effort by everyone involved there. So just want to wish the ones, especially the ones taking the match ball, because that's a really important bit of cargo, uh, wish them all the very best for that uh, cycle next week as they all find their various roads to Rome. Fantastic. Okay, um, get a grip. Now, I don't know how many of you watch Premier League football I've actually looked at the back of the socks of many of the players. Why should I, I can hear you saying? Well, it's now become very fashionable for players to cut holes in the back of their socks. The theory is it reduces pressure on their calf muscles. What, though, has happened is that feeble-minded players, and there are lots of them, have, have cop copied the practice, whether there is a problem with their socks or not. So not only are the socks ruined, which is nothing to the players, but my beef is that people copy these players. And I'm sure already young kids will be doing the same. What a waste and what an expense for the parents. So my brief message to these moronic players, who probably by now have no idea why they're doing it in the first place, but they're copying their mates. So if, if you're guilty, get a grip, you thickos. But there is another view. And I, I will put the argument. I mean, I, I think that there are a number who are just following the trend blindly now, because, as you say, you know, a lot of footballers don't have two brain cells to rub between them. Um, but 
unlike the days when you you and I played Tony, when it was hand knitted woolen socks, um, these things <laughs> now are very much they're like a a lycra neoprene type calf sleeve, which is great for long distance runners. I've worn them when doing long distance walking, triathlons, things like that. And there's a lot of science behind it. But actually for sprint um, and shuttle running, you know, if you think about a footballer, they're not doing 5, 10K steady state. It's short bursts, short, sharp bursts. There is actually science that proves that it can be uncomfortable and actually restrictive for them in terms of wearing these calf tighteners. Uh, So actually there is some theory behind the fact that with the discomfort and the fact they're pulling these very tight socks on that actually cutting some holes in the back of them gives the muscle more room to expand and is actually better for that short sharp bursts long steady state actually the the blood pressure blood being pumped and pushed back up from the extremities is a good thing in short sprints, it's not such a good thing. I don't know the exact science, and I'm not a biologist, so I'm sure there will be other people out there who will tell me how wrong I am or, or that, but certainly reading up on it, that was well, the theory behind yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you you're wrong, and I'm right. Get a grip, you lot. You're pathetic. <laughs> Absolutely pathetic. I mean, if you're claiming you're right, all I would say, Tony, is even a stopped clock is right two times a day. <laughs> Right. Okay. So, time Over for our to our guest. Yeah. Um, so we're midway through the Six Nations. Um, Ireland are obviously putting in a great performance. Uh, so I thought it was time that we got in a someone who, who could talk about the rugby in general, but b someone who's maybe uh, slightly more of an Irish leaning than myself on uh, yourself, who can talk us through how the team are. Doing. Doing. So great pleasure to uh, bring back to the pod um, guest, regular guest, and even sometime co-host when Tony's away sunning himself in Australia, uh, Paddy Malarkey. Paddy, how are you doing? I am great, lads. How are we? Happy New Year, if I can still get away. Oh, yes. so, yeah, say so, so. <laughs> also, can I just chip in on the socks? Um, I've got a son. He's nine. He's obsessed with football. This is a massive challenge for us because all he wants to do is take a pair of scissors to his socks because he's like, Told you, you, told you, Andy, told yeah. you. And he's like, you know, the blood flow and all this. And we're like, no, come on, fit that. You're having a laugh. And um, <laughs> then we did just quick story. We did a stadium tour of Dagger and Redbridge recently, and he went in the dressing room. They'd laid all the kit out for the players that night. His favorite player, I won't embarrass the player by naming him, I'm sure they're listening, um, had cut holes into the back of the socks at the toe as well and <laughs> as well other aspects of the kit and it was just like oh my god what is is this a left winger or is it just some bohemian poet that's playing tonight um but it's uh i can imagine you look at that as your son's going see daniel going oh oh i just like i was <laughs> i heard about this afterwards but it's uh it is it's so funny it is a thing and you see it now of all the players and i bet like you say half of them couldn't explain how or why they're doing it they're just no. doing it so but um hey ho hey ho here we are uh hey let's run in yes. for me there you go so yeah, you're going to be taking out a second mortgage to cover um a fresh pair of socks for the lad every week now oh my god they're expect like i'm sound like my dad they're expensive socks <laughs> <laughs> that's why i get them for christmas <laughs> Oh, anyway, Chase, anyway, on to cheaper topics. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, um, the Six Nations. Uh, how are you finding it so far, Paddy? I've enjoyed everything I've seen. I've I was thinking about the weekend, just kind of watching the Ireland game, and then I only caught like a little. I'd say the final quarter of the England game. Um, sadly, missed the France Italy game, which had some real drama. It feels like. Island aside, teams are either slightly fallow this year, I'm thinking Wales especially, or just lacking a bit of direction or kind of, I suppose, a bit of momentum. I'm thinking more the French. Um, Scotland might change that a little bit in the final round. Let's see how they go. I hope something interesting happens with Scotland. So it'll make it more interesting for the championship. England are just a great conundrum for me because... Um, I remember, Andy, when you were messaging at various points during the World Cup, 
and some of us were messaging back saying you've got to give them a pass for this tournament wait for the next three to six months see how they progress and you've got to start see start seeing something soon um I'm not sure how or when you will at the moment. It's, it's a strange one. On the flip side, other than the spectrum, Ireland just look very well drilled. They And so they have total confidence, I think, in what the plan is. It's not just that they know what it is, but they totally, totally believe in it. Um, and I thought it's been interesting their first few games. I thought the French, they play a team who have lost a little bit of belief, I think, in that match, certainly, and a bit of a headspace in the plan. And then... In with the Welsh, they just played a team who who I still find in their plan, whatever that means to them with Gatland and so on. Um, I still think it'll be very difficult against England. I still I still think England can do plenty at, at, at their place to trouble them. Um, but yeah, they're, they're favourites, um, and I'm not surprised really given how the, the World Cup went and so on. How does that sit with you as an Ireland fan? Because quite often the Irish tend to feel better as the underdog and the uh it might must drive you mad the plucky irish tag but there is something where ireland tend to feel better as the underdogs the the world cup was a great example without wishing to make you relive that you know ireland no. that game as favorites for once why i just um so i don't remember anything of what how we got knocked out of the world cup i just remember the hangover the day after. um <laughs> i would say there's something to it this group are an exception so just i don't want to go too much uh cod psychology but you know the, the irish persona and people will be laughing thinking here in my accent trying to talk about this but stay with me stay with me um there's something to it i think there's there's something to it with the sporting teams and and some of the best international feats the irish have done i think of someone like Katie taylor who basically was like not just an underdog but also like as a gender, an underdog in our own sport, having to fight for a right to perform. And you think about some of the best Irish football performances is from that position. The exception, how does this sit to, to your question? Like, I mean, how is this team an, ex is an exception? The nature of the Irish rugby setup, uh, professionalism was the best thing that ever happened because it led to really awkward conversations around like, how do we want to run things? And it forced the provinces and the counties to get their act together um to the end that people ex accept and expect for this team to perform the world cup is its own thing like its own thing in its own way like a whole diatribe of thoughts on that but i think i said to you at the time andy on the night it happened the morning after and weeks after it was the first time i was at peace with the exit and i i can't remember when i've had one when we've gone out of the tournament i thought oh well hard hard luck whatever you know that's the first time for jill we, we did turn up just we got beat by betty on the night so you got to accept that but i think there's um we touched upon it in correspondence as well and there's some dialogue around this forming there's some apathy i'd say in the ground starting to form like people have got very used to very high highs and there's been a lot of editorials over the weekend in like the irish times rugby world other places around is the atmosphere flat at the Aviva, is there an issue or challenge? Um, there is a big corporate entity, big corporate ticket there to it. And I know that's how it works a lot in rugby. But there is some, like, people have got very used to their team just duffing up people who turn up, basically. Even New Zealand. Like, I, I went the first 30-plus years of my life not seeing one win. I've probably had two or three in the last five meetings. Like, that kind of... That can't be taken for granted, but people clearly are getting used to it. So um, a little bit of complacency might be seeping in on, on the fan front, but I don't think with the with Farrell and the setup, I don't think there's any complacency on the pitch yet. Mm. Interesting chap. So how how would you are, are you kind of neither fish nor fowl in the sense? Is that where you are? And that sort of at the moment, you know, uh, about the team is that is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, I just, um, it's one of those situations, I think just in the current period of the year and calendars, it's going to sound terrible, but you can only beat what's put in front of you. And I thought they had a great performance at the weekend to quite a stubborn Wales outfit. I was really impressed by how Wales did what they could do. I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, the Frankly, like for this setup, the, the uh, questions are all going to 
um, orbit around the four-year cycle of the World Cup. And unfortunately, until we end up on either getting through a quarterfinal or more regularly being up and down, a la the English or the French or maybe the Welsh, whatever you want to describe it, that's going to be the barometer. But for me, like, you know, I... I kind of, I have to think, you've got to enjoy these moments while they last. I, I've like, I think about it with my own football team, Arsenal. I think about it with the rugby team. Like, you know, no, there's no, these things expire quick. So enjoy them while they last. So I'm not going to sit here and, and ponder about what happened during the World Cup. It came and went and we didn't perform at key moments. Let's perform at key moments that are ahead or in front of us right now. So, yeah, it's interesting so- you say about the the atmosphere, Paddy. Um I mean, I, I I watched back. It came up on my uh, Facebook memories this week. The game that England played at Croke Park in 2007. And I was lucky enough to be there for that. I've never heard an atmosphere like that in a rugby ground. I say rugby ground. That's what was being played there that day. I say <laughs> rugby ground very guardedly um, with the okay. GAA having to... Uh, change their constitution to um, allow the, the rugby to be played there while Lansdowne Road was being rebuilt. Is there an argument to take the rugby back there? Because you, you get another 30,000 more in the stadium. You know, Lansdowne Road can only hold 50,000 with the way it could only be redeveloped because of the planning permission. Is there an argument to take it back to Croke Park, take it back to where that atmosphere was so good, so febrile? absolute hard pass is is the straight answer on that um not just for me i'd say but for for most people the reason being that was that especially that game in particular and that tournament it was a serious moment in time because that week i remember it vividly that week leading up to it it was like the story on like the editorials on like the equivalent of news night and the 10 o'clock news is like What's going to happen when the national anthem plays? What's going to happen when the team walk out? There was such tension and nervousness around it. And it was like a real coming of age moment um, in contemporary Irish social history and sport, sporting and social history. The flip side has been, though, it, I, I do think the legacy of it is like, OK, cool. You've redeveloped Lansdowne and Aviva. That's your home. Great moments there. But also it has made, I'd say, elements in the Gaelic game think what's the we've got to have as many iconic moments here in our space now and they do every year with like the finals um with the counties playing there but i don't think ireland ireland don't need a boost from a ground what they need is um a boost from moments in history back-to-back grand slams is not something like i mean come on like that that's special stuff Um, it's been done four times in the history of the tournament yeah but it's 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 like you know, you know that's all. That's that, in a hundred years of the tournament. It's it's no joke, and like it's if it was so simple, everyone would be doing it. Um, and certainly for Ireland, that's special. Um, I I just I think I think the I have like a personal fear around. I think kind of it's about how do you manage access, and I, like I I hate to do this because I do, I do this all the time on here, but like. When I think of what Arsenal have done, just because it's it's very the proximity bias for me, I know it well. They've had to really deliberately work with fan groups and entities to change the atmosphere in the ground. It's not been just about what happens on the pitch, which is a key part, but they've really been thoughtful about fan experience. What do we do in the day? How do we get people on the ground? How do we get them there earlier? A bigger thing, I, just a quick point on this, Jerry Fornley in his editorial in The Times, he was saying, or he, he did an interview on the... Um, on Irish radio, he was saying, well, could we start introducing bans on people going mid-half for a pint? Like, this is like, this is how bad it is. Like, apparently it's like almost like shuttle runs of groups, like immediately, which, if, but the thing is, that will stop if there's a contest happening in front of you. Um, we've been to rugby games together, Andy, with Harlequins. And I remember there's a couple we've been to where it's like, there's nothing doing here for five, 10 minutes. I'm going to get a beer, bring it back. Why not? Um Unfortunately, that's just happening with <laughs> whoever's it, playing Ireland at home. It at the does my nut. I mean, Twickenham have tried to counter that because at one point Twickenham was becoming the biggest pub in the world with people constantly up and down to get beers. And they're coming back with, you know, 8, 10, 12 beers for their, for their group. And then, of course, 8, 10, 12 beers has to go somewhere. So they're yeah. up and down again during the game. Yeah. 
to yeah, uh, yeah. go and clear the space for the next round. The Welsh have tried it with a with a non drinking section. But what I what made me laugh was uh, uh, the Irish number eight, Caelan Doris, was saying, "Well, maybe we need to introduce a drinking section." at the Aviva, and maybe that would liven things. That'd be like a whole bit. postcode in Dublin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Honestly, I, I maybe I'm being naive. Jeopardy in, in the contest will eliminate a lot of that. I gen- unless someone's just gone for the day to drink, and that's less about the sport, it's more about them. Um, if there's a sense of jeopardy in the result, no one's going to get out of their seats to go anywhere. Um <laughs> Or not? No, I tell you what. No one was getting out of their seat uh, when they had the return test after Chicago against the All Blacks. Everyone was there. Everyone was glued to it. You know, same the following year when they came back again. So, you know, it's an issue, but um, it's a reflection of the, t- the team is relatively dominant, and, and, and I want to say it in the humblest way. So. But, buddy, from a, a, you talk about content there and transferring that to this weekend, how do you see all that? Running out. What's your view of that? Of the um, the the <laughs> tournament itself. Yeah, I think I weirdly I I think England will be uh, a bigger problem for Ireland in, in than the Scots will be. Right. I, I bizarre. I just I just think I always get this thing in my head of England. I had this with the tournament with the Argentina game, and as they went on, it's like if they get a little bit siege mentality they can be bloody awkward to play against. Um, there's some players in there as well. I think as well, I just, something's got to give in terms of either the plan's got to start landing with the players, whatever yeah. it is, or, you know, they're going to just get a hold of things themselves a little bit. Um, but, you know, I... I think they'll, I can see them beating England, but like I see it being a little more tighter and tenser, maybe akin to, was it last year? with the, And it was like the, the red card changed things immediately in the match. I wouldn't be shocked if it's if it's relatively tight in that sense. Um, on paper, they should win. I think Scotland, I'm always Scotland. I'm always confident playing a Scotland team uh, in recent history. Um, someone's going to clip this up and play this back when Scotland win in Dublin. Um, <laughs> but just with the recent history in the World Cups as well, just, you know, you would have a certain level of assurance if you were in the, the coaching ticket around what the plan is. Going back to the point earlier, you'd have total confidence in the plan and then you'd have total confidence in your ability to execute against it. The Scots, I don't think, can say either at the moment. Um, but let's see. Let's see. I, I think... It comes down to the, it seems to be their own a bit like Wales in the early nine late eighties early nineties. As long as we beat England, we've had a good year. Yeah, and actually, I don't think that's enough. You know, Ireland have shown that 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 was probably the Irish mentality in the mid to late nineties when they yeah. were struggling before that new breed of players, the O'Driscolls, the O'Connells, the O'Garas came through and really started to change that is very much if we beat England we've had a good year and if not well we'll just we'll, we'll have a good crack anyway um mm. I think Scotland are a little bit like that at the moment you know they 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 blow hot and cold but it, but they beat England and therefore they've had a good year whereas yeah. actually to really take that next step they need to be beating Ireland the Ireland's the France's of the tournament you know they'll pick up wins against especially a terrible Wales team at the minute. That Wales team are in all sorts of dire straits. I meant to ask you, Italy Wales, how would you see that one going? See it going, I won't be watching, first of all. <laughs> um I'll go for Wales to win because of the Gatlin factor. I have a lot of faith in in him as as a coach and a manager, and I, and I like I say I, I was kind of half impressed by what they tried to do, um, but um, you know I don't know if the, if the Italians would feel really flat after what happened in France. Like, like, would you feel flat or kind of like you know motivated and be like, come on, we came that close, we could do anything after this. But um, 
I'll go for Gatland to, to get them over the line with a canny plan or some something jazzy in the press conference beforehand that throws the Italians off the pen. I don't know. <laughs> that's got how 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 oh, that's desperate, isn't it? <laughs> Rent a quote, save the day. But yeah, I mean, he, he is the past master at that. But yeah, mm. I mean, we, we all know where I stand on Wales. I would love to see Italy win, not just because they'll be beating Wales, but because I think it'd be good for the tournament as yeah. well to see see the Italians really being. A force, you know. Over the years, people have questioned whether or not they actually deserve their seat at the table, and should they be replaced by Georgia or anyone like that. I think England are in danger of being replaced by Georgia if they keep playing <laughs> the way they do. <laughs> yeah. So you, you 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 on the weekend when you've got uh, Newcastle playing against Arsenal and all of the rugby happening. Were you torn in terms of loyalty? I mean, there was plenty of goals to watch in the Arsenal game. I um, don't you worry. There, there was time ring fence for that, and then uh, I, was, I, was, I was nudging Andy. Was, no, it was four Andy, not two goals. We scored against you. Um, I was I was, nu- I was nudging Andy about it before I came on. I was at a kid's birthday party, and they had like the rugby on, and then there was like a bun fight over the remote about we're going to stick gladiators on or the football, and um, the football won out in the end, but. Um, it was a great. I switched over to Gladiators. I mean, yeah, let's just put this right. Like that is the best show of the week every week for me in our household now. Um, so I'm all over it. I, 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 that's no shade on Gladiators, but um, amazing night, great, great performance. Um, I think there was a lot of feeling behind the scenes built up around what happened in the game at James's part. I don't think Arteta had forgotten, but some of the rumblings. Let coming. it go, Elsa. Let it well, go. No, I tell you, I tell you what. During the week. <laughs> On the Thursday or Friday press conference, they asked him about it, and he's very throwaway. He's like, you know, uh, you compete with all top teams, da la la you know, no, no ill feeling, nothing specific here. <laughs> they interviewed Odegaard afterwards, straight afterwards. Like, yeah, good day, you know, and obviously the coach, she said about, like, what happened last time, that was on our minds as well. <laughs> I was just like, oh, you cheeky scamp. But um, on, on, like, listen, I could talk to Arsenal so the cars come home, but, Andy, I'm curious... They've got a cup game tonight, I think, Newcastle. It's kind of a coming a bigger match all of a sudden. Where or what does success look like for their season now? Because the team's been ravaged a bit by injuries. I think we're all wondering now, I think, did Eddie like massively overperform to get them over the line in Europe last season into Champions League? So what what yeah. What's a good outcome? Uh, I mean, I think definitely overachieved last season. That was probably another year or two down the road in terms of the plan and in terms of being able to within the FFP rules, mm. uh, unlike city um, to actually uh, build a squad <laughs> that has the depth to compete on a number of fronts. I think, you know, Newcastle this season have almost been victims of their own success that they've got a very good first team that can probably compete with anyone on the day. Um, as we saw with the games against Arsenal over the last couple of years, other wins, you know, the, the beating of PSG at the start of the season. I think it's a team that can compete with anyone on the day, that first 11. But when you're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, consistently over a number of weeks through the season, throw in a couple of freak injuries as well. Mm. The Pope uh, dislocated shoulder, uh, throw in the Tanali suspension that, um, again, you know, Dan Ashworth, Manchester United's new signing as director. I mean, one thing that he, great performance in his time at Newcastle, but one thing that he's really got to answer a question on is how the hell did you miss that? Because within a month of him signing for Newcastle, he was getting banned for a year for betting irregularities. So you telling me that wasn't in the pipeline? Someone's not done their due diligence there. And I think that does land at Dan Ashworth's door. So it would be interesting to see whether uh, uh, Ratcliffe and Manchester United and Ineos make sure that he's not got any bungles like that up his sleeve <laughs> when he finally finishes his garden leave at Newcastle. So long, long answer. Yes, overachieved last season. Um, I think probably a year, two years ahead of where we thought we'd be and therefore the depth of the squad. The FA Cup run now becomes huge. You know, Newcastle haven't won a trophy, a major trophy, since the 50s. And I think came close last year with the final defeat in the Carabao Cup to United. I think, you know, they've got to be got to be getting to Wembley. Got to be looking at. 
And can we nick that Europa? This is really dire, having made the Champions League last season. Can we nick <laughs> that Europa Conference spot for next season? Because, again, it keeps the revenue coming in, which in turn frees up more of the Saudi, Saudi shekels uh, mm. to, to spend in the transfer market. So, well, I mean, yeah, cup run, yeah. but they, on Saturday, take nothing away from Arsenal. To use your line earlier, Paddy, you can only beat what's there. But they look banjaxed. Once that second or third goal went, yes, Newcastle just looked out on their feet. Yeah. They did. They looked gone and, and shot. Now, just my spin on the uh, Premier League, uh, Paddy, is uh, I'm sure you'd be delighted to know that <clears throat> I want Arsenal to win it uh, because I despise City and Liverpool in equal measures. So uh, that's why I would like to see them. And actually, it will just... Uh, chuck things in the air a little bit, and I, th- I quite like the idea of that. And the, the thing I would have expected to happen hasn't happened where Arsenal start to sort of fade away. They actually look the real a real deal. You know, they look very powerful. They look as if they believe they can do it. And there's a big difference. So I think, uh, you know, who knows with the way the next few weeks will go, but that's definitely the moment where my vote and support would go to Arsenal, so I'm sure you're delighted to know that. Pat, Paddy looks pained by the fact that we've just given Arsenal the null and void kiss of death there. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to know, it's the equation of like kind of my enemy's enemy is my friend. It's like a sport, I think Tony's logic, a sport United, hate City, definitely hate Liverpool. All right, I'll take Arsenal. I'm not a huge fan of yours, but we'll, we'll back you. <laughs> it's you know it's what? the best backing you're going to get, mate. I'll, I, tell you. I'll, I'll have it. I'll take it. Um, but you know what? Like, it's I think we'll finish second, unfortunately, but there's two things. One is we talked at length around this time last season about the run-in, et cetera, et cetera. There's something sustainable this year in a way as special as last year was. It was one of my favourite seasons ever as a fan. Just the raw emotion, all that stuff is great, but it's not sustainable around the way this season set up is very much sustainable and very like tightly manoeuvred and, and tactically manoeuvred. But the other thing as well is I don't understand why we don't get more, like, I suppose, support and the, the wider media about this. We've, we're trying to do something that Liverpool did that other clubs can replicate that aren't state-owned. That That's something to be celebrated. Now, I know United are a slight outlier because they're not state-owned, and but they've got new leadership and, and they're probably going to be a, the next turnaround. But, you know, I've, I, I'm surprised we, we get a lot of kind of, like, stick, the celebration police always out for us, like... But we're youngest, youngest on average team in the league, or second youngest. Got one of the youngest and best managers in world football, and we've got like some brilliant English starlets to boot. But still, like others, people just didn't like to slam us. But I think we'll finish second. Just, I'll just put it out there now, um, a tight second, but unfortunately second. But we'll see. I'm trying oh, to work out how, how chat about rugby has been hijacked by you two football It's because my team thought yours <laughs> 4-1 on Saturday night. That's no, no, we, no we're, we're all sports on null and void. All sports come. Yeah. Well, me, before we do, before, before yeah, I say, yeah. before I have dragged us off track, but just kind of spring back to rugby quickly. Like, what I haven't asked you two, what's your view or outcome of the tournament or the remainder of it in terms of Ireland or otherwise? Good question that I was going to ask yeah. you to wrap it up. Um, I do think <laughs> Ireland are going to do the Grand Slam. Um, and I do think Italy will not finish bottom because they'll beat Wales. Uh, the rest, throw them up in the air and see how they land. I think England could end up, if they have a good result against France, they could end up third. If they get gubbed by France, they could end up fourth or fifth. Um, wow. So, yeah, but I think, I think it'll be... Uh, Ireland win the Grand Slam, Wales get the wooden spoon. So what about you guys? Yeah, well, I, I probably I wouldn't be too far away from that. I always say uneducated view of rugby, but I like to watch it. And what I can also see is you can't actually say what's going to happen as we sit here now. You can't be definite about it. And that's good. You know, you watch these games and the next thing comes up, you know, and, and uh, I find that exciting. And uh Equally, uh, Andy, I go with you that if Wales finished bottom, I'd be delighted. <laughs> Ouch. Well, for some, some balance, I'll go with the Italians finish bottom after my um, some sort of position yeah. of a gap and masterclass and probably uh, definitely Ireland Championship. I'll go for a slam as well. While we're in. Going for the slam, which means they get the triple crown as well and the uh, 
Uh, next weekend, the next game, they're playing for the Millennium Trophy against England. Indeed. Uh, I beg you, what? Is that, what? is that a thing? Is that a new thing? That's oh a thing, God. no. That's a thing that's been played for since 1988. Oh, dear. Right, oh, how God. they came up with the Millennium Trophy in 1988, I have no idea. <laughs> Crikey. Yeah. But anyway, Paddy, appreciate you being with us and talking rugby and football. Uh, delighted you could be with us tonight, and uh, thanks for that and look forward to speaking to you in the future. And the nice thing is any number of sports we can come at you and ask about. That's lovely. Thank you, mate. Love it. Thank you for being with us. Thanks so much, Barry. Take care and I'll I'll see you soon. Cheers, Barry. That's great. Good input. And as you say, hijacked by football a little bit, but that's inevitable when Paddy's around and I'm around. Definitely. Anyway, um, I think a, a great episode, an interesting one, Something I neglected to talk about that I'll definitely catch up next week is the netball. It was their second week and I didn't pick up on that. I'll definitely do that next week for you because uh, I know a lot of people are interested. But great input with the number of sports. I think it was 10. Um, and lovely to have Paddy with us again, as I said. And yes, disagreements on Get a Crip, but clearly I'm right, you're wrong. And we'll move on to next week. We'll move on to next week when... Uh, as ever, we'll be expecting you to be there at a time and a place that suits you. See you later. Cheers. Cheerio, folks. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk.